Hello and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andrei Matyshak and I work as the deputy head of foreign desk in Slovak Daily Pravda. American President Joe Biden will meet Russian President Vladimir Putin. The summit takes place in Geneva on June 16. But does this meeting make any sense? Will it make any difference? Should it make any difference? And what to expect from Biden and from Putin? My questions were answered by Tom Nichols, U.S. Naval War College professor and an adjunct at the U.S. Air Force School of Strategic Force Studies and the Harvard Extension School. He is also a columnist for USA Today, a contributing writer at The Atlantic, and an author of the book The Dead of Expertise, and of the incoming book Our Own Worst Enemy. What would be his advice for Biden before the summit? Listen to our conversation. Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin are going to meet for a summit on June 16 in the Swiss city of Geneva. From what we know, it was the U.S. president who offered a summit to his Kremlin counterpart. What would you say were the main reasons for this decision? I think that it's a routine duty of a new American president to meet with uh, world leaders, including um, the leader of Russia. Uh, but he's, of course, starting by meeting with the leaders of NATO. So I, I actually think this is a fairly normal activity for a new president. Of course, they both know each other, so they are not strangers to each other. So I think this is just to establish contact uh, with you know, Biden as the new president. So I think it's, again, a fairly routine meeting in that sense. But Biden's critics are saying that he cannot change much in the U.S.-Russia or U.S. slash the West-Russia relations by this summit. What can this meeting achieve? Yeah, there are no, you know, the Americans use this word deliverables. There are no deliverables for this meeting. I think that the president is going to explain to Putin what he sees as problems in the U.S.-Russian relationship, and then he's going to lay out possibilities for cooperation and then come back to the United States. I, I, I think it's important. I actually am, as a specialist on these matters, I'm actually glad that they don't have a very detailed agenda for this first meeting. Why is that so? Because there's so much to talk about and so much ground was lost between Russia and the United States over the past four years that I think there's just too much to expect that this could be solved in one meeting. So I think it's just to establish contact. I mean, there's no reason for the president to avoid a meeting with the Russian president. He's just one more world leader out of many. So to me, again, I think it's a totally normal and routine thing. And I'm actually glad that there are no deliverables because I think that takes the pressure off of uh, both sides. I think the most important thing is to reestablish contact in a, in a mature and business-like way, as opposed to the kind of chaos of the past four years. So basically, you support the idea of the summit, because as I said, there are people critical to the fact that Biden is meeting Putin. I, I think um, you don't want to make Putin into some mythological figure that the president can't meet with. 
you know, the president of the United States meets with a lot of world leaders and not all of them are the nicest people in the world. Some of them are our uh, competitors. Some of them are our enemies. But, you know, we have to talk to all of them. I think the way this is being done in Geneva, rather than as a big summit in one of the two capitals, you know, I think this is the right way to get things started with a short and no agenda meeting where the two men can have a candid discussion with that, with each other and then move on and get back to something like a business-like relationship where we actually have to talk to each other. Taking into account, we cannot expect really anything very concrete from this summit. What does the U.S. want from Russia and vice versa? Well, important to remember, I don't speak for the U.S. government here. I, I think what the U.S. government would want what any American government would want is for Russia to get control of the criminal organizations within its borders that are attacking the United States, to cease the attacks on the American political system, to be more cooperative in terms of international security. You know, the Russians really have become a country that that has become obsessed with its own kind of, I don't even know how to put it, that the Russians you know, are obsessed with their own internal problems again. And when Russia is obsessed with its internal problems, it tends to turn those into external problems uh, to try to distract its its population. I don't think there's much of a future for Russian-American relations while Putin is president. I just think that's, you know, I don't think there's much hope for Russia to be anything like a normal country or to have better relationships with most of its neighbors while Putin is still president. And so we just have to deal with that. So in the meantime, as long as Putin is going to lead Russia, I think the thing, the most that the Americans could hope for is to make the Russians understand that hosting criminal elements that are attacking American and Western businesses, having an intelligence service that is conducting overt attacks on the American political system is just unacceptable. But whether that'll matter to Moscow, who knows? But then is it? at least something uh, the best Biden can do to push uh, Russia into, into more cooperation in those areas you just mentioned? Well, I think there are still some areas where uh, the United States and Russia can cooperate, but you know, there's, not, there's not much Biden can do if the Kremlin decides that it's not simply going to not exercise any control Uh, either over its own intelligence services or uh, over these criminal organizations, you know, but the United States is not without its own resources too. So I hope that in, in their private moments, they have a very honest and direct conversation about this. And that's one of the reasons I'm glad this summit is taking place the way it is. I don't want there to be a big public declaration and a lot of it. I think, I think at this point, reestablishing contact again, after the After the chaos of these past four years, I think it's really important that these two men talk privately and in a very open and blunt way with each other. Maybe what would be your advice for Biden? What he has to say to Putin in those private moments? The, the first, well, the first advice I'd give to Biden is remember that the most important thing for Putin always is to stay in power, no matter who it hurts, at the expense of his own people, at the expense of peace and security. Putin is always about Putin and his regime more than anything else. And so I think 
I'm sure the president understands that Putin is basically like a mafia boss and you have to deal with him that way. Uh, what I would say to Putin is the situation you've experienced over the past four or five years, even toward the end of the Obama administration, when, you know, the Obama administration was thinking more about Asia and ignoring Europe and trying to get out of the Middle East. My comment to Putin would be those days are over. Those five years are over and that the United States is going to return to looking after its interests in places like Europe and the Middle East and other places. And, you know, we can do that cooperatively or we can do it separately, but the situation you've enjoyed over the past five years is over. And then I wouldn't say much more. I think American presidents in general talk too much and say too much. And I think it's time to let the Russians and other people wonder about what we're up to rather than constantly explaining what we're doing. Um, so I, I wouldn't say very much more than that to say, you know, you've done what you've done. Here are the things we want you to do. Here are the attacks we want you to stop. Um, if you don't do them, then, you know, we have options at our disposal as well, but I wouldn't say much more than that. What do you expect from Putin? What kind of message he might deliver to, to Biden? Well, Putin's going to do what he always does. None of this is our fault. We are not responsible for these, you know, rogue elements within our country. The things that you think we did to you, we of course, did not do to you. We don't believe your evidence. You know, he, he's a master at this. So that's why I don't think that this should go on very long or be a very detailed conversation. I'm sure Putin will try some grandstanding move like saying, well, we have very deep concerns. I fully expect Putin to say something like, We have deep concerns about how the your political prisoners after the capital attack are being treated, some kind of cute trick like that. But my hope is that President Biden takes a line from President Reagan, which is, there you go again. Everyone always associates the line, trust but verify with Reagan. But Reagan, um, when he was dismissing the criticisms of uh, Jimmy Carter, he shook his head and he said, there you go again. And I think Biden should just ignore those and not, not give it a platform, not respond to them, simply state the American case, indicate that the Americans are willing to cooperate, but also that if the Russians choose to go a different way, things could go differently and shake hands and go home. But it seems there are still some areas in which Russia and the U.S. can cooperate. Usually arms control, climate change and fight against terrorism are mentioned. Is the cooperation possible, at least in those areas? I've said for 25 years that the, the areas where the United States and Russian, Russia can cooperate are always more larger than the areas where we compete now that the Cold War is over. Unfortunately, Putin has made competition with the United States I mean, a, a centerpiece of staying in power. And so, you know, he's a Soviet guy. Putin is an old school Soviet guy. He wants it to be 1975 again. And so he, you know, when things go wrong, he blames the United States. He blames NATO. He identifies NATO as his chief enemy. I, could, I can think of multiple areas where cooperation is better than confrontation or, or um, competition. But Putin is a man of the 20th century. He's not a man of the 21st century. And so I'm not sure how much of that's possible. But yeah, arms control climate change, terrorism, those are the obvious three places. And, you know, if all we did was cooperate with Russia on arms control, control terrorism and climate change, that would be huge. But 
unfortunately, you know, the, the Russians, uh, you know, the, a, I shouldn't say the Russians, the Russian regime, a small number of men in the Kremlin have decided that competition is better than cooperation because it suits their interests. You said that Putin is a guy from the 20th century, but of course it's 21st century. And in 21st century, it's quite clear that the biggest challenge for the US is China. Is it possible to open some cooperation with Moscow regarding Beijing? Well, I I think that the constantly lumping Russia and China together is a mistake because China has much more interest in the status quo than Russia does. The international globalized economy matters a lot more to China than it does to Russia. So, um, you know, the United States and China are in a very tense relationship in the Pacific, but I don't think that that, I don't think that um, trying to cooperate with Russia about China gets us very far. I think dividing those issues is actually more useful. I think when it comes to our NATO allies, there's going to be a problem. I think where when Putin, when Biden goes to Europe, he's going to find that the Europeans don't see China as the same level of threat as the United States does, which is understandable. They live on the other side of the planet from them. They don't share that large Pacific region with them. They have a lot of business with them as we do. Uh, and so I think the more interesting conversation is how will Biden and the heads of NATO come together to think about China in terms of a security threat. But I don't think there's there's much point in putting Russia and China in the same category there. In some ways, I am on I'm, in some ways I'm unusual among Americans in that I actually think that in, in some ways Russia is more of a threat than China because Russia has less invested in the international status quo than China does. Whatever else you can say about China, it is handcuffed to all these Western economies in a way that the Russians are not. The Russians are mostly dependent on raw materials and oil and things like that. Yeah, I think this is an interesting point because it's quite clear that uh, some people are even saying that the, the China was basically uh, the winner of the, of, the, of the end of the Cold War because they were able to open up the economy and, and to make uh, the regime uh, quite successful for people and oh. yeah. Let's let's remind ourselves that China did that by killing hundreds of people 32 years ago and staying in power. But China has, whether we like it or not, or whether they like it or not, they are in a symbiotic relationship with the West economically. I mean, China needs a lot of growth to, to maintain its momentum and, to, and for their regime to stay in power. The idea that China and Russia have identical interests uh, when it comes to the United States and NATO, I think, is an old Cold War myth. I don't think Russia and China have nearly the identity of interests that we sometimes like to think they do. And I, I, and I think that they don't have the same interests in common that sometimes Moscow likes to think they do as part of some anti-American axis. I, I mean, the Chinese... People forget the Chinese and the Russians do not exactly have a history of warm relations. Yes, I think you're right. I think that putting Russia and China into one basket is a usually a very lazy analysis. Not even an analysis, just lazy. 
But back to Moscow. If you look at the first months of the Biden's presidency, would you say president did something wrong vis-a-vis Russia? He just invited uh, Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky into the White House, which I would argue is a strong signal to Russia. On the other hand, Biden was criticized for being soft regarding Nord Stream 2. Some sanctions were lifted. So did he make any mistakes regarding Moscow? Yeah, I, I don't know that I would have made the same decision on Nord Stream, but I'm going to grade, as we say, I'm going to grade Biden on a curve here, which is that I'm going to give him some slack and say that the situation he inherited uh, as a new president was one of the most difficult of a modern presidency. The, The fact that Biden's able to pay for attention to foreign policy at all is almost a miracle, considering the complete wreck Uh, that his predecessor left him with the pandemic and the economy and domestic relations. I mean, you know, Biden Biden was sworn in, surrounded by National Guardsmen because of unrest in Washington. It's remarkable that he has gotten back to a kind of normal rhythm of work so quickly. I haven't seen any major errors. I think his biggest error has been a domestic one in this bill that apparently now will not the, the the voting bill that's going to not pass uh, in, in Congress. In foreign affairs, I think, you know, again, the, the, the word I keep using is business-like, normal, non-dramatic, everything. Americans and I think our allies have gotten used to living with this huge level of drama and chaos and theatricality. And um, I'm just happy that Biden you know, Biden's going to make decisions that are not going to make me happy. They're decisions that are not going to make our allies happy. But these are decisions that are within the normal parameters of an American government. And I think that's a welcome return. So I, you know, inviting Zelensky to the White House, I think, um, you know, considering what we put the Ukrainians through over the past four years, um, a good, a good move, something that had to be done. Nord Stream is so complicated that I'm almost reluctant to criticize him on it. Again, I don't know that I would have made the same decision. Uh, And I think, you know, we've done what we could to raise the profile of the situation of Navalny. But the president is keeping a lot of, I mean, he's juggling a lot of swords right now. The summit will take place in Geneva. So maybe there is a bit of echo of the past uh, Reagan met Mikhail Gorbachev in Switzerland in uh, 1985. Is it somehow possible to compare the Biden-Putin summit to some big US-USSR meetings? Is it anything? No, and I I hope people don't do that. Um, Biden and Putin know each other. They've met. I mean, you know, it's remember, Joe Biden was chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, and he was vice president of the United States for eight years. This is not a get-to-know-you meeting. You know, this is a... I think, again, a routine first meeting between two leaders of large countries. I don't see any Cold War echoes there other than to say Geneva, I think, removes a lot of the importance from it in terms of, you know, who's hosting whom and what's to be expected. And, you know, it's the president's in Europe. He's there doing some business. The president of Russia is going to come to Europe to a non-NATO country. They're going to sit down. They're going to have a chat and then move on from there. 
And I think that was the wise way to go. I, I, anything bigger than this, and I would have been uncomfortable with you know, a larger summit than this. Uh, interestingly, the, the sequence of events is basically the same as in the 2018, when Trump met uh, NATO allies, and then he went to Helsinki. And of course, there was this disastrous uh, disaster. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, um, <clears throat> I mean, it's not it's not an unusual for an American president to go to Europe, meet with our allies, go to a what the Russians would consider more neutral ground, meet the Russian president. But 2018 was a disaster. I mean, 2018 was this is what I mean about the amount of wreckage that Joe Biden has to deal with in terms of. Um, you know, kind of cleaning up the mess that he was left by Donald Trump. This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Google Podcast, and on the other platforms. Thank you for listening and stay tuned. Mm-hmm.